0: Welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of the Advocate General for Scotland and Romine. The citation for this case is 2018 UKSC 6. The question at the heart of this case appears on the surface to be quite a simple one. What does it mean to be British? In fact, as we will see, the question is much more complicated than you might think and takes into account a range of legal, political and historical factors. The person at the centre of this case is Shelley Romine, and in order to understand her position in relation to British citizenship, we need to take a quick look at her background and family history. Ms Romine was born in the United States in 1978. While her father was from the States as well, her mother was born in South Africa and was technically a UK citizen because that lady's own father, in other words, Shelley Romine's grandfather, was born in the UK. When Shelley's mother was pregnant with her and still living in South Africa, contact was actually made with the British Consulate to find out if Shelley would be eligible for British citizenship. The answer to this was no, and technically that was correct at the time because of a weird anachronistic quirk in the law. The British Nationality Act 1948 only allowed citizenship by descent if a person's father was himself a UK citizen at the time of the birth. Furthermore, if a person's father was himself a citizen by descent, then it was still possible for the child to obtain citizenship, but only if the birth was registered at a British consulate within a year. What should be explicitly clear at this point is that citizenship by descent cannot travel down the female line under the 1948 legislation. That situation was obviously very unfair and discriminatory against women, and so the law was changed, but only in 1981, a few years after Shelley Romine was born. It is important to note, however, that the law had been further changed by the time that Ms Romine applied for citizenship. There were amendments in both 2003 and 2009 that allowed for the law to apply in such a way as if it had never been discriminatory. In theory, this should have solved Ms. Romine's problem, but remember it was only the grandfather who was a full UK citizen, and Ms. Romine's mother was only a citizen by descent. This leads to the paradoxical situation where the law now states that in order to be a citizen, Romine's birth must have been registered at a British consulate, and yet the law in 1978, meant that such a registration was impossible because citizenship by descent could not be transmitted down the female line. How could the courts hope to resolve this situation? The approach taken by the inner house in Scotland was to say that not only should the law be read as always having been non-discriminatory, but also to assume that the people working in the British consulates acted on that basis. This solution not only has the advantage of assisting Ms. Romine, but also resolving the paradox, although this is problematic in a legal sense. For a start, that solution appears to operate in contradiction to the law as it currently stands. Section 4C subsection 3D of the amended British Nationality Act 1981 directly states that it is not to be assumed that the registration requirement was met. Any other interpretation that seeks to get around this would simply contradict the legislation as it currently stands. Another problem is that the courts would essentially have to deal in hypotheticals, as a judge would have to work out whether a parent would have registered their child at a consulate if they had been able to do so at the time. In the case of Ms Romine, this might not be so big a leap, but it is not hard to imagine a situation where it's argued that a mother would have, for example, moved to Britain for the birth. Not only would such a question be next to impossible to answer, but it is also hard to justify that Parliament intended to create that level of uncertainty. Of course, equally unpalatable is the idea put forward by the Advocate-General for Scotland that would have denied Ms Romine citizenship. The argument here was that the words should be interpreted literally, But of course this would mean that registration would only have taken place where a mistake had been made at the time. Again it is hard to believe that this was Parliament's intention as this would serve to frustrate the attempt at equality more than anything else. The justices therefore had to find a third way and they did so thanks to a lead judgement from Lord Sumption. He held that when examining applications for citizenship by descent via the mother the registration requirement has to be regarded as inapplicable. This has the twin advantages that it gives effect to the purpose of the legislation, while avoiding running into section 4C3D, which does not allow an assumption that the registration requirement is met. While this does serve to resolve the paradox, this solution itself is not without issues, and a couple of these were acknowledged within the judgment itself. Arguably, the decision only serves to establish new forms of discrimination as, in the first instance, claimants down the female line no longer have to prove registration, and that is not fair to claimants down the male line who do. The Supreme Court simply didn't consider this, though, an issue. The legislation operates not only to correct historic forms of discrimination, but also to ensure that there is no remaining discrimination today. The law as it stands does both of these things. The second form of discrimination recognised by the court was between those born before and after the original 1948 legislation. But as this did not factor into Ms Romine's case, it was not addressed here. In truth, there isn't a perfect solution to this paradox that doesn't leave at least some residual inequality. Lord Sumption did well to minimise this while also ensuring that Shelley Romine was able to benefit from an equitable resolution in her personal circumstances. Nevertheless, when the highest court in the land leaves the law in a less than perfect condition, there does have to be some sort of duty to resolve this, or at the very least to offer an explanation. This unfortunately has not been done here, And although the pre- and post-1948 discrimination does not affect Ms Romine, the fact that there is an outstanding issue should be highlighted as one for Parliament to resolve. In fact, the whole interaction with Parliament in this case, and specifically with Parliamentary intention, leaves a lot to be desired. On the one hand, Section 4C3D makes it clear that registration is not to be assumed, And yet the eventual solution is to dismiss the registration requirement for the female line entirely. Given that the amended legislation makes specific provisions for registration, it is hard to imagine that it was Parliament's intention to declare it as inapplicable at the same time. The justices are careful to apply this level of scrutiny to the inner house, but fail to do so to their own judgement. This is not to say that such a reconciliation is impossible, but rather that the failure to address this at all sets a worrying precedent. Debates in Parliament and British politics in general are especially dynamic at the moment and the upshot will be more cases before the Supreme Court as questions carry over into the judiciary. At that point, a two-way relationship will be more important than ever before, and a disconnect between Parliament and the courts will sow confusion and further exacerbate cracks in our society. The other topic that I would like to bring up before concluding this episode is the concept of nationality. In many ways, the idea of nationality is increasingly fluid in today's globalised world. Theresa May might have been critical of the citizens of nowhere, but less expensive travel and increased exposure to other cultures makes it more of a reality than ever before. Furthermore, as we develop in a technological, economic and social sense, the natural result will be more integration, and a person's nationality will become more fluid. There is, however, another side to this argument. Extremist parties in Europe, such as the AFD in Germany, the Front National in France, and the Northern League in Italy, are making huge strides politically with an ideology that places nationality front and centre. The same can be said for Donald Trump's Make America Great Again movement in the United States. These two paradigms are not compatible, and one will ultimately have to make way for the other. It is hard to believe that a regressive political force will overcome the tide of progress, But whichever side wins out, the law as it relates to nationality will surely have to change accordingly. Well, thank you very much for listening to another episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast. And thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Remember to leave a rating and a review of the podcast on iTunes if you get a chance. And also hit me up on Twitter. I am at Marcus Cleaver. Thanks once again for listening and I'll speak to you next week when I have another case for you. Bye!